You're listening to the Podmania Pro Wrestling Podcast. Just a sample of the best pro wrestling podcasts we could produce on our tiny budget. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, at Podmania, YouTube, and Instagram, at The Real Podmania. If it's wrestling you want, check out more of our great content at www.podmania.weebly.com. Let's do this. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Podmania podcast. I am your host, Rob Goodwin. I am joined once again by Garth Jackson. How are you, my friend? Good, good. Excited, excited. Yeah, very much so. It's an absolutely excellent show we've got in store for you today as we review NXT TakeOver Brooklyn 4. But we are not alone today. To compensate for the fact that I had to do last week's podcast on my own, we've overcompensated and now have three of us. So welcome to the podcast, Chris. How are you, my friend? It's so weird. I didn't know I was wrestling outside of Japan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and weirdly, a WWE show that was decent, which is an oddity. But it's, well, I say that, it's never an oddity when it's NXT. NXT seem to perpetually put on fantastic shows. But we're obviously here to review NXT TakeOver Brooklyn 4. Um, overall thoughts, guys. I'll start with you, Chris, seeing as you're the newbie. Um, <laughs> um... Overall thoughts? Best takeover of the year. I don't think that's hyperbole. Like, it, it can make a straight shot between this and New Orleans. But, like, the, the three matches in between, like, the two classics um, could also be considered classics of the night. We were talking about this before the papers you started. And, like, we all had different answers for match of the night. Mine was personally um, Gagano Champa, as we have already discussed, like, it's for me. It's the best one, and I'll go into it in more detail when we get there. Like, but it's just the best takeover of the year of what is possibly the best year of takeovers. So, yeah, absolutely. I I find that really hard to disagree with. This show, top to bottom, was absolutely outstanding. Garth, what about you? How did you feel about it? Um, I probably agree. I think every like each match as an overall probably better quality. I think. If you take a couple from New Orleans, the the ladder match might have been better than a couple of these matches, but there was a couple of sort of duds in that one. But this sort of top to bottom, there wasn't a single bad match. There were all really, really good matches. I think as well, the thing with New Orleans was, New Orleans was a fantastic show. I mean, you reviewed this on the channel, Garth. Um, You know, it's a fantastic show, but... We focus because, you know, WWE has gone however long without getting a, you know, a Dave Meltzer five-star match. Um, that, you know, to get two in one night was unbelievable. You know, you got the ladder match for the United States, champ- the North American Championship, which was a fantastic match. And then you got Gargano Champa one, which was also an outstanding match, an absolute clinic in storytelling. But you have to really, really, really think... God, what were the other matches? Because they were overshadowed by those yeah. two absolute classics. Whereas this pay per view, and yes, you're up. You know, it could just be because this is very fresh in the memory. It's extremely fresh in my memory as I finished watching it an hour or so ago. Um, but top to bottom, there was no bad matches on this card. You know, the weakest match was Velveteen Dream taking on EC3, and that was still a good match. But all yeah. the championship bouts were outstanding outstanding and we'll get straight into it i think because 
you know, we've all got lots of different takes and we've all got lots of different opinions on these matches. We'll start with what was probably my match of the night, uh, the NXT Tag Team title match pitting the Undisputed Era, um, obviously Kyle O'Reilly and Roderick Strong, the current champions, taking on Mustache Mountain, Trent Seven and Tyler Bate. I'll start with you, Garth. What did you think of this match? I thought it was brilliant. It was everything that you want from a tag match. You had... Um, I mean, Tyler Bate, MVP of the match by a country mile. But then you've got sort of people like O'Reilly, who is just as good as just as good as the rest of them. But he just plays such a different style. Um, he's got his sort of, I mean, his kicks and his strikes were pretty brutal. Um, especially when he was laying in. I think it was um, Trent when he had him on the ground. He was laying in with the palm strikes. That was unbelievable. I was wincing. <laughs> um, but the countering, the, the the chemistry they seemed to have, all of it just seemed... The, the flow of this match, I think this was the best flow and match. Everything seemed to work. I there, was pers- no, there was no sort of stifle bits where they were like looking at each other like, oh, what do we do? There was none of that. No. I mean, I personally, when <clears throat> um, the main roster called up the Revival... And then we lost DIY to the breakup. I personally worried <clears throat> about the state of the NXT tag division because mm-hmm. we were left with heavy machinery. We were left with TM61 or the Mighty, who, you know, NXT don't seem to rate at all. You know, and we were left with a spa- you know, street profits. We were left with tag teams that didn't that were decent in their own right, but didn't really fill the void left. And I feel in the undisputed era and Mustache Mountain, um, we've we've got an absolute tag team classic here. You know they've yeah. already they've had three matches. You know they had one at the UK tournament, they had one on NXT TV, and they've had one to, you know on this show, and not one of them was bad. They were all different, and genuinely the crowd was you know the crowd are chanting throughout the night. But was, this one fight forever, and genuinely I could watch them fight forever. It was hard to see who was the heel here as well. I was going to ask that, actually. I was going to say, you know, it takes a lot for a crowd not to chant Undisputed Era, but this crowd definitely did. Mm-hmm. Um, Chris, what about you? Um, well, I completely agree. Um, well, not with it being best match of the night, um, but with it being an amazing match, definitely this is the best um, tag feud NXT has had since Champa, Gagano, and the Revival. Yeah, and well, to be fair, we haven't really had. Last year wasn't a good year for tag team wrestling, really. In like, I know you had like people like Sanity and um, AOP fighting, but at the same time, nobody gave a fuck. Mm-hmm. Um, last year, when Sanity won the titles, and they they lost it pretty quickly to Undisputed. Um, what I will say, considering Kyle O'Reilly and Roderick Strong are basically thrown together because Adam Cole has bigger and better things to do and Bobby Fish is injured they work incredible. I know they've worked for years in Ring of Honor but they work incredibly well together considering um, this is the most we've teamed unless we've teamed on some obscure indie show that I've never watched um, <laughs> they they flow especially well together with Mustache Mountain they've just found their perfect opponents because the problem is they've been put with people they've seen lesser like Arnie Lulkin and um, Danny Birch if I was slightly down to the NXT crowd being cunts who don't um, pay attention, who don't actually pay attention to feuds that aren't like the headliners, like because Danny Burch and 
because um, they both had stories behind them, but we just ignored that. Whereas this, people, because they're indie marks, they know who Mustache Mountain are, they know British Strong Style are, and they know their style, so they're actually happy for it going forward. They didn't need that grace period, which I think is great. And yeah, Tyler Bate is absolutely... If he, if, if he was like two inches taller, I'd say he has a massive future in WWE, but unfortunately, as things are, I just see him getting thrown in 205 and then splitting up and having Trent Seven go over and then never doing with him because it's WWE. But, <laughs> um, but absolutely, Katarina Bate is like the strongest guy this side of Cesaro. And <clears throat> that, that spot where he picked up, um, I think it was Kyle O'Reilly and threw him into Roderick Strong, that was just incredible. And like the um, airplane spin with the giant swing at the same time, he does it basically yeah. every match, but it's never not impressive. No, and the right guys won because because Mustache Mountain have a UK division to build, but that's true. Yeah, that's that, true. That, I mean, that's one on. bad thing. Sorry, that's one bad thing about this match for me is I know they were going back to NXT UK, who have their own tag division, and it's basically them and the Coffees. So they need them there, so they're not going to keep them in America. Yeah, no, which is unfortunate. I mean, I've spoken to you guys before about how much British Strong Title are absolutely incredible and I think if they were put on the main roster they would do incredible things because obviously you know the WWE are definitely hot on Tyler Bate or else they wouldn't have put the United Kingdom Championship on him you know they are incredibly hot on Pete Dunne who unfortunately wasn't featured on this show he was in a dark match which I think will um, which will be on NXT next week against Zach Gibson Um, but yeah you're absolutely right the right people won here I think once um, Kyle O'Reilly, I think no, I think it was Roderick Strong kicked out of a, um, a Tyler Driver ninety-seven, and that then and then you've got Kyle O'Reilly not only kicked out of a seven-star lariat but also kicked out of the Burning Hammer tag finisher that Mustache Mountain did. It was you know it's at that point that you think bloody hell, there's no chance that Mustache Mountain are walking out of this with the titles, and obviously you know it did they didn't. Um, the Undisputed Era hit their high and low finisher on Trent Seven, and they walk away the champions. I, I mean, really wish. Um, sorry, let's go on. I really wish when that was hit, I, um, someone would just shout "total elimination," or like Joey Styles would just <laughs> run in, shout "total <laughs> elimination," and run away. Yeah, think, absolutely. Um, what, taking about taking away from the uh, the sort of Roderick Strong, he was. Um, He's, he sort of seemed to be floundering a bit until he joined the Undisputed, and it's a total brand new lease of life for him. It goes... And I think the, the Bobby Fish thing could be the best thing that happened to him. Yeah, I was, I was just going to say that Roderick Strong was falling victim of WWE being able unable to build organic baby faces. Mm-hmm. He's, he's a shite baby face, to be fair, Roderick Strong. He is, yes. He was just, a, he was just like a bland... He was a sort of creator wrestler. Yeah, the, yeah, he was. Default creator wrestler. No one would make a creator wrestler that boring. He'd <laughs> <laughs> be put on community creations with like three downloads. Um, <laughs> the problem is with Roderick Strong is he's come from Ring of Honor where he was Mr. Ring of Honor. And Ring of Honor don't rely, you know, they still do rely on storytelling, but nowhere near to the same extent as WWE and NXT do. So when you are put into, you know, in inverted commas, the big leagues, you have got to have more about you than, God, look how good a wrestler I am. You know, unfortunately, you have got to have more about you. And I think there was, you know, he had that feud with Sanity, he had that feud with Eric Young, and he just didn't seem to 
have it, really. No, so I, I think, think you're right with this feud, with his heel turn, and joining the Undisputed Era, who are unbelievably charismatic to a man. Yeah. I feel like, you know, it is absolutely 100% the best thing that could have happened to him. Be interesting to see what happens when Bobby Fish comes back. I think it'll be very interesting when Bobby Fish comes back. Um, I think by the time Fish comes back, um, they'll get the titles on to Bobby using Freebird Rule and then have um, Roderick win the US title, have Adam go up to the NXT title and have it be a hold of about situation. That would be brilliant if they held everything. Mm -hmm. I think you are going to be hard-pressed to ever find a faction more poised to do that. You know, yeah. because, you know, other factions, you know, everyone would just scream, oh, they're being pushed down our throats. You know, it's oversaturation, but the undisputed era, it doesn't matter whether it's Fish, Kyle O'Reilly, Roderick Strong, or Adam Cole, they are unbelievably early. You hear shock the system, you jizz your pants. It's it's, it's like, it's, oh my God. It's, it's the biggest pop in um, WWE, let alone NXT. Like, I've yeah. never, like, especially those UK shows. Like, I've been to a show where Adam Cole was on and he, He's always been getting big pops, but this is the most over he has ever been. Yeah. Like, he hasn't. When was the last time he was a faction leader? It was the Kingdom, wasn't it? Because he wasn't a leader in the Bullet Club. He's born to be a faction leader. Yeah, he is. Absolutely. And I think he just he just oozes charisma. You know, everything from just. Inf- Do you know what? We'll leave stuff about Adam Cole until yeah. we get to his championship <laughs> match because we could, all three of us, could just gush about this man because he is just unbelievable. He's fantastic. Um,. That wasn't the next match, though. The next match was EC3 taking on the Velveteen Dream. Now, I am just going to start by saying... I have no recollection of this. Pardon? I have no recollection of this. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) I love the fact that these two didn't have a contract signing. They didn't have... You know, they did have an in-ring promo together, but their main thing was a summit. I think every wrestling feud (laughs) should begin with a summit, which is just incredible. Um, Velveteen Dream I've said to both of you about how WWE's unfortunate habit of bungling NXT call-ups is a very very poor omen for the Velveteen Dream when he does eventually get called up no matter how how many times he writes it on his tights Um, and I think we should enjoy Velveteen Dream as much as we can in NXT because once he gets called to main roster, you know for a fact that he is going to be stuck with Gold Dust or R Truth in a feud with Breezango. So, and he's not going to get anywhere near the sort of creativity. <clears throat> no, he will. You know, if if this was two thousand and eight, he'd be you know the Santino holding the United States Championship. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, it's it's very much a comedy belt. But in this match, he's just he shows. I thought it was a very slow plodding start to the match. If I'm being perfectly honest, I thought both men struggled to pick up the pace of the match. I thought EC3 almost struggled to rise to the occasion to start off with, but once they got going, you know, after that initial what three four minutes, it was a really enjoyable match. A really enjoyable match, Chris. What did you think? Um, I I agree. Um, first of all, we haven't actually said it. Properly yet, those tights are absolutely amazing. Um, <laughs> Every takeover without fail. What was it? He's, so he's had a, a few takeovers. First, uh, against Alistair Black, it was basically just Rick Rude, him painted onto his tights. Yeah. And then, like, I don't remember we had against Ono, but against um, but the Prince Puma tights and the Hulk Hogan attire last time. Against was... um, Ono, he was wearing boxing shorts. 
Yes, oh, that's yeah. right. <laughs> and like, he made a match with Cassis Ono interesting, which in NXT is hard because they don't let Ono do anything. No, they don't. But, um, which is such a shame. It I'd really have a rant if he was anywhere on this card. Um, <laughs> but um, this, this, this popped people more than I've ever seen just for Vince call me up. And yeah. it's, it's, I can't imagine that's made him very popular. Because Vince McMahon, but then again, if they if they, if they knew it would fuck him, they wouldn't let him do it. But no. and Triple H was backstage because he's had photos with the champions, so it's not like he's done this blind. You know, we've read on social media that he's got he's gone a backstage heat. For me, that's worked heat. It's got to be. Mm-hmm. Oh no, um, I think Dave Meltzer puts him out on Twitter where it's like, if he was if it was really gonna fuck him, we wouldn't let him deal with it. Exactly, yeah. like that. But um, they don't. They haven't actively fucked anyone in a while. But um, <laughs> um, but no, this match is. I, I say I'm just gonna say it was fine. It's problem is it was on this, a really strong takeover, and but to, and it just after that last match, I needed a break. Also, I was ushering my niece out my room because I was getting annoyed with her commenting on the tiny pants at wrestlers walk. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it it was. I, I, I'm just gonna say this. the only thing I can really remember is the finish would be elbow drop on the apron, which to be fair, pop me because I think he, more people should do that in big matches. Yeah. Just those tiny variations, yeah, of on their move, like even down to placement. Like Cesaro used to be amazing at that. Just where he'd put someone um, to take their bump, it would be effective. And I think we've lost that a little bit. And I think Velveteen doing something like that because it's not technically breaking the rules. It's not. Make it, it's not fuck, it's probably fucking you last because you're landing on your feet and not on your back. Mm. Uh, so I love little things like that. Yeah. But, yeah. Garth, what about you? I enjoyed it. Like you say, like you say, it was it was a slow burn, but I just thought, I mean, Velveteen Dream came out looking like the charismatic motherfucker that he is, <laughs> and then you had EC3 who looked like a fucking megastar straight off the bat. Anyway, he is. Juiced. I mean, he is Vince's dream. He is. Very I love what so. he does with the entrance, by the way, the pointing up at his name. That is yeah. That, and then he does that over-the-shoulder sort of glint. And I just think, like, he, he, he's so... He's just probably just as charismatic as the Dream in a different way. Um, but is I think his in-ring still... It's very much big man style. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, I think what he did really well in this was he nullified the dream um, with any sort of quick attacks or like sort of running around the ring. He, he just stopped him. He just held him down and a couple of power moves and the dream was sort of selling like a star. Um, it really was. And I just, and I thought, I, you know what I thought really like was a sort of like a third string of this Nigel McGuinness on this match, especially selling like the moves when um EC three hurt his neck and he kept going back to it. Oh look he's going for the neck again, he can't he can't lift him, he's going for the neck. I thought McGinnis was like really good throughout this match. Yeah. And I think he helped move it along. The commentary team, him and more to a lesser extent, but definitely Nigel McGuinness <clears throat> did a fantastic job, like you say. You know, they did it in the next match for the NXT North American Championship and they did it very, very well in the women's championship match as well. Um, McGuinness is a treasure, an absolute treasure. I think he's fantastic. 
But Along, alongside Don Callis, for different reasons, he's the best colour guy going. Oh, yeah. yeah. Fantastic. Don Callis is brilliant, and we gush about Don Callis on a regular basis. <laughs> um, I mean, there was a couple of things in this match. There was the twisting DDT, which I absolutely love because it's just so yeah. completely unorthodox. You know, there was that on the <laughs> ramp, which is how um, we get to... Um, EC3 sort of holding his neck. He got busted open at some point. I don't know when that happened. I didn't notice that until the match finished. No, I noticed it just as he was hitting the elbow drop. I was like, when the fuck did he get bust open? It was just, it was like the bridge of his nose between his eyes, I think. But I think it was more scratch than like a punch. Yeah. It it seemed to be sort of just after he did the the superplex. Yes, I think think it might be. I think probably part of. Velveteen Dream's bloody attire has probably caught him um, <laughs> because that man's wearing jewellery for days. Um, but we had um, the Dream Valley Driver, which is just such a lovely move. I really do yeah. love that. Um, and then we had uh, Purple Rainmaker, as I like to call it. I don't think that's what it's called anymore. No, it is. Um, <clears> I, get, I used to get annoyed when calling that because I, I hear Rainmaker and I just imagine <laughs> Makada, but... <laughs> To be fair, that's probably a reference. He's probably just trying to get away with as many references <laughs> possible. Yeah. Because like, I mean, he, I, he does. He was doing. Um, he was doing the Hulk Hogan sort of ear trumpet thing. Also, he was doing Rick Rude last time around. Yeah, yeah. And he like, was doing I, his Hulk Hogan. Uh, he was doing the Rick Rude sort of um, hip hip shake and stuff. Yeah, like he that. did the Rude Awakening. So I love. It. I love the thought of Vince McMahon finding him in Prince. I know he did, probably doesn't go to try next T-shirt, but Vince McMahon coming across um, <laughs> Velveteen and the Prince Fumatan tights. It's like, what are they? And it's like, oh, it's, it's a reference to this obscure Mexican wrestler. And he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> right. Yes, of course. Um, so, yeah, Velveteen drags EC3 onto the apron, hits the purple Rainmaker. I'm not calling it anything else but that. Um, on the apron and then... Rolls him in, pins him for a much, much needed takeover victory. Velveteen Dream, despite despite the fact that he has made a name for himself in NXT, has taken a lot of losses on takeovers. Yeah. You know, he's lost to he, Ricochet, uh, he's lost to Alistair Black. So, in yeah, high-profile beaten, matches. Say again? He's only beaten Ono, and I'm sorry, in NXT, as much as I love Ono, that's not an achievement. No. no. Much as you, much as we say that Ono is the gatekeeper, you know, you need to have high-profile victories. And yes, this is EC3's you know, takeover debut. Um, there's a lot of chatter that he could be going up to Maine very soon. I can, I can see that because... He's ready. Yeah, he's ready. I don't really see a spot for him in NXT. I mean, what championship does he go for? Um, I mean, you could argue that he'd go for the NXT championship, but I just, I don't think he's, I don't think him and Champa will put on a, a good, you know, a decent match. Um, you know, he could feud with Cassie's Ono, but, you know, he's ready for main roster. You know, Sorry. No, go for it. The main problem with EC3 is that he's been working is that he's been working in TNA. Like his gimmick's perfect, but that's all him and probably working a bit with um I think with because the, the guys can really work a gimmick down there. But the problem is he was working like Sting and Angle when he was having neck problems. So he's always had to sort of make himself go down. Whereas here he has to punch with people above his work rate, whereas before he was punching downwards, he's never had really someone to work with who's actually on his level, which is weird, because he's, in terms of in-ring work nowadays, he's pretty average. He's just always punching up now, as well, whereas yeah. before he was always mm. punching down. Yeah, I think absolutely. if he, I think if he, if EC3 makes the jump up, they're going to have to put him with somebody like AJ or Kevin Owens or someone who can get 
a good match out of him rather than him get a good match out of somebody else. Mm-hmm. Do you know what? I think that his gimmick and everything else, he's tailor-made for main roster. Definitely. <clears throat> and he's tailor-made for WWE Raw. He's just, yeah. he's a Raw guy. He's like, we, you know, I think he's it was you, Chris, the... who said he was like, he was Vince's wet dream. You yeah. know. He, oh, no, it was you, God. Sorry. The, he he's could guy, be the right. one cutting the 10-minute promos every week mm-hmm. without yeah. a, without even flinching. And like, maybe he's having a one match every two or three weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Give him the IC title and just having cut promos and free TV, people yeah. at some point will just think it's worth getting the network to see this guy get beat up. Mm-hmm. I'd love to see Matt Riddle ver- and Matt Riddle. Sorry, <laughs> I'm looking at my notes. Uh, I would love to see um, EC3 versus The Miz. I think that would um, be fantastic. I, I, did anybody else notice that during this match, the crowd started cheering at the ramp for some reason? Yes, I think someone was being ejected. Was it? I, no, no, no. You know what it was? You know what I heard it was? Matt Riddle. Somebody saw someone being led out with like a bag over head or something and they thought uh, it was Matt Riddle, which it uh, was. Because I, I was wondering what the hell's going on. I, I was I was waiting for somebody to run in. Well, that's what I thought. And I was like, who the hell is interjecting themselves into this feud? I was like, don't be Kona Reeves. <laughs> don't be him. Um, but it wasn't. And it actually segues wonderfully into our next point. Matt Riddle was in the crowd. Matt Riddle <laughs> is part of NXT. Fucking hell. The possibilities are endless with this man. What do we think? Garth, I'll start with you. What do you think of Matt Riddle? King of Super Honestly, Bros. I don't know because do they put him straight up to the top? Um, do they put him against Adam Cole? It would work. It would work. Um, or do they have him go the other way and, and sort of start with, say, an EC3 or a Velveteen Dream? I don't know. I think they're bringing, I think they're bringing him in to quick shot him. I think he won't be in NXT too long. Chris? Okay, um, I, I agree they're probably going to quick shot him, but that can backfire. Riddle's only been around for a while and he's always been working like this high-octane style and, I'm, and in WWE you do need to slow yourself down a bit or they mm. are so, so like he needs time to slow himself down like you saw it with Apollo Crews he used to roll up his high octane style he hadn't quite obtained the WWE style when they called him up and he got fucked so mm. I think like a good run in NXT would do him good but the, I think the most notable thing I got from this was the fact that he was wearing flip flops in a suit and a cap <laughs> as well and he like, looked absolutely like a, amazing second for that what did, what made you pop more, Matt Riddle or Keith Lee? Um, me personally, Keith Lee, because Same. I knew Matt Riddle was in the crowd. They'd already leaked here; it was already everywhere that Matt Riddle was going to be in the crowd. Whereas somehow I'd missed that Keith Lee was going to be in the crowd. So when I saw him, I was like, "Fucking hell, it's Keith Lee!" And just because me, I'd it's... seen a load of his work, you know, I was like, "This is going to be incredible." I haven't actually seen too many Matt Riddle matches. Um, I've, I've heard he's fantastic. Yeah, I've heard he's fantastic. I've heard he works really well. I've heard his character work is amazing. So, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing him. It'll be interesting to see what they do do with him. I can see him being very... I can almost see him on the Bobby Roode sort of trajectory where he has a couple of matches. Then, yeah, not when it gets to main roster. It's fine, Garth. Just just calm, mate. Calm. I forgot Bobby Roode was your trigger word. Um... (laughs) Roode was never that good. I didn't like Rude in NXT, just saying. You didn't like Bobby... Right. 
we stop this podcast now. You didn't <laughs> like Bobby Roode in, in NXT. Right, okay, let me defend myself. No, absolutely fucking not. <laughs> uh, <did> I, <laughs> um, it's not that I didn't like him. I thought he was slightly over thought of. In... It was a damn entrance. The, 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 the entrance music, I think, was great. The problem is it was getting him over as a face and he's a heel. Like, when Nakamura <laughs> turned heel, they changed his music. Yeah. And also, um, he he was working against Nakamura Mora and Almas, who are two of my favourite guys. <laughs> so I was just sort of like, I want him to lose. Meh. I mean, for me, heel, arrogant, clean. Oh, you know. but he was the best promo down there, definitely. Oh, God. The way that he was so manipulating in a match, how he would scope out an opponent's weakness and just target it. There was no one quite like him. And then they call him up to main roster and you make him a smiling baby face who's always in a fucking dressing gown. Are you taking the piss? Just be because fair, that's he's... That's probably why I was down on his NXT run because I'm just sort of seeing him in the main roster now and just forgetting that he wasn't always like that. But that's the thing. When he got brought up to main roster, just everyone was so excited. He came, you know, his entrance hit when it came to SmackDown. And, you know, everyone was like, glorious! But the second week... Very few people gave a shit because his that, promo that's, that's and his in-ring work was just like, why the fuck aren't they letting him do the heel work he did in NXT? I know he's a he's a horrific face. Awful. He's always been, unless, always unless been, he's with James Stone. He's always been pretty. Even when the even when sort of BM money were doing a little bit of a face thing, they were still a bit cocky and badass. Whereas yeah. he's just like a sort of wet white bloody. He's wet. down. He's down to a word. Now, like when he yeah. won the US title, I was like somewhat interested, and then like I saw his first defense was against Marshall Raleigh on a kickoff. I was like, nah, this isn't going to go well. <laughs> no, it's yeah. very very poor. I mean, me and you, Garth, we we reviewed TNA Destination X 2012, where uh, Austin Aries took the championship off Bobby Roode, and Bobby Roode was just unrecognizable. You know, he was he was as a heel, he was fantastic, and just everything he did was just amazing. DNA Rude is amazing. Which is just, it's such a shame when you look at Bobby Rude now. But what I, I meant to say... With... Then. <laughs> when when I say I want Matt Riddle on the Bobby Rude trajectory is I want him on a couple of takeovers, just, you know, dominating an opponent, then put him into a title situation, whether it's the NXT North American Championship or whether it's the NXT Championship, put him in that. I do not want to see him in the tag division at all. <laughs> Unless Jeff Cobb was there. If if Jeff Cobb comes to NXT, oh my God, I will move to Orlando. I love that man. <laughs> anyway, we're getting slightly off I track here. Life. Um, <laughs> oh, you bastard. Um, anyway, <laughs> we move on to the NXT North American Championship match between the champion Adam Cole and the challenger Ricochet. Um, I don't think that I am exaggerating when I say this was an absolute belter of a match. The rings, the in-ring psychology, the character work from both men, from something so simple as Adam Cole constantly repeating to Ricochet, you aren't special. Just something as simple as that, and the commentary team taking that, building it. What can that do to a guy? Nigel, what can that do to a man's confidence? Is Ricochet still going to attempt all these moves if Adam Cole is constantly his ear telling him he's not special? You know, especially early on in this match when Adam Cole had an answer for everything Ricochet tried. Yeah. 
you know, he was super kicking out of, you know, moonsaults, which is just an unbelievable spot and looked like it genuinely hurt. You've got Adam Cole hitting a backstabber, you know, on a moonsault springboard thing, which was incredible. <laughs> to have someone high-flying like Ricochet and to have Adam Cole, who isn't high-flying at all, and to put them together and have such a match like this, it was fantastic. It really was. Garth? Yep, agree. Uh, it was, again, I, I love entrances, and I thought Ricochet looked epic. <laughs> it did. It did look incredible. He just he looked like a sort of like a, like a rock star, like with that the lasers and the smoke and uh, it was uh, for some re- for some reason I was watching I was thinking this reminds me of Rey Mysterio for some reason, but no, um, I loved that um, fucking the the pop for Adam Cole was unbelievable. It's deafening even watching it on the network. It's like, don't wear headphones. Yeah, do not that. wear headphones. That man is the biggest baby face in that company. And he's a heel. <laughs> and he's a heel. <laughs> um, but I think the work in the ring was amazing. Ricochet is a freak. Um, the, the stuff he was doing, I mean, the, he, a couple of them, was, there was a, like a rolling corner drop kick thing. Yeah, which was amazing. And I, just, I, was watch, I watched it and I rewound it and watched it, but I was like, how, is he, how do you forward plan for that? Um, the one thing I do want to mention, and I've mentioned this before with... Alistair Black, that moonsault where he kicks him, where it's like the springboard where he kicked him in the face or in the neck. Yeah. Why is he doing that? Yeah, especially as he'd done a spring... Just before that sequence, he'd done a move to which Adam Cole had attempted a superkick to reverse it, and Ricochet caught the foot. That was the best. I know people, people gift the... Um, super kick, um, moonsault, but that just that was my favorite matchup. That was my favorite spot. That was just amazing. The the, the kick, yeah, yeah, just catching the kick, um, the super I mean, kick as the, you were falling. The, the precision and the, the fact he got him and didn't knock his head off that's <laughs> unbelievable skill. But I was just as part of the storytelling of the match, if Rick, if he hadn't kicked Ricochet, Ricochet would have just fell flat on his face because Adam Cole was far enough away from him not to get hit. And I, d- I do see what you mean. And you did bring this up when it was Alistair Black against Adam Cole. And Adam Cole just hit him with a chair when he attempted yeah. to go for this moonsault. And I, d- I do take your point. I know I th- it's all part of the sort of the grandeur. I don't even um, think it's that. I think it's more Ricochet is going back to what he knows. And what he knows is to do springboard flippy shit. And you know, yeah. and to be constantly told by Adam Cole, you're not special, you're not special. It's more of a thing, well, right, I'll fucking prove to you that I'm special. You know, they don't call me the one and only for no reason. Um I'll tell you what was um, unbelievable, the where he dodged the kick and then rolled up into a schoolboy. Is that the quickest thing I've ever seen? Yeah. The stuff that they did was seamless. Absolutely seamless. It was just um I just thought again, in the, another one another match that just had a really sort of Easy flow. The there was no, I mean, even as far as sort of calling stuff in the ring, you couldn't really see where they were doing it. No, there was a wonderful which, moment where they traded strikes and kicks as well, which Ricochet is not a striker at yeah. all. And there's just they hit each other and hit each other and hit each other till eventually Ricochet collapses and Adam Cole collapses on top of him. And do you know what? Part of me wanted that to be the finish. 
I felt like finish. Yeah, yeah, I would have loved that to be the finish because was, it was that, a case of Cole hasn't beaten Ricochet. It's just that he's fallen on top of him. him. That was a really good spot. I mean, that um, we did the sort of reverse spike Hurricanrana. I was like, fucking hell! Oh, off the last I shot. Yeah. I never, I never thought that would be ever happen in a WWE ring. A reverse yeah. Rana. It's just, it's unbelievable. I mean, Ricochet, like I think Garth summed it up perfectly. He is a freak. Yeah. Um, to them, and there was a there was a part where I know we mentioned before about him being sort of similar to Shawn Michaels. I even wrote down in my notes um, the part where sort of Cole sort of rolled away when he knew he was hurt. Oh, he when Rick Shaker went for the first six thirty, and he's just got mm-hmm. that sort of smile on his face. I, I wrote in my notes. I put that's so HBK. It's unbelievable. Yeah, it definitely is. It definitely is. Um, I also got um, written down there. Holy fuck. Jumping Rana outside. Oh my god! <laughs> I I, bl- I literally blinked in misfire. <laughs> it was unbelievable. Um, for those who didn't see it, um, Cole had rolled out of the ring to stop Ricochet hitting the six thirty cent on, and had sort of dragged himself to the opposite corner. He's outside the ring. Ricochet's inside the ring, and Ricochet runs and hits a reverse Rana over the top of the ropes. No springboard or anything, literally just jumps. And it is the most beautiful yet massively distressing thing you can imagine. Because you what just I... think, fuck, mind his head. But it what was lo- just incredible, Chris. What I loved about that was this for, mostly was the way he got down, went from the 637, finally just got down with a look of, oh, motherfucker. Like, <laughs> um, for me, um, this match was second best match of the night. I. It was the point where my hangover was officially um, cured. <laughs> and, um, it, it was just amazing. You've already went over all the amazing spots, but like Adam Cole, the thing is with me, Adam Cole is working at 100% of what Adam Cole can do. Cause, like he was never like biggest thing with moves. It was always about his storytelling and his psychology. Um, with Ricochet, he's working at maybe half of what he can do. Yeah. Like, if you watch like any anything he's done in Lucha Underground or New Japan, the man's fucking insane. Like he's working like he he's actually working like he was on a no name indie show, and that speaks more to him than it does how they're asking him to work. But I mean, the WWE obviously have they've put huge huge stock in Ricochet, which is excellent because I think he's, everyone he's has. Mysterio. Yeah, I know he doesn't have the mask, but in like the high flyer, charismatic baby face because Ricochet. Can't really do do heel, but like as the charismatic baby face, um, definitely. He could. He's he's the one. I think he when he goes up, he could be the one that they've been looking for, for since Ray left. Absolutely, one hundred percent. The kids Cause, love him because they haven't gone with. Uh, did you see that video on Twitter? Actually, I think Ricochet retweeted it of the kid sort of <laughs> shaking with excitement watching him win the title. Oh, <laughs> yeah. that's adorable. Fast. That is, it was actually adorable. He was just like, come on, come on. <laughs> it was like That's... when you were a kid watching um, the telly and you entered a competition and we were announcing the winner. It was like, come on, <laughs> come on. It was that level of excitement. It's that, but, it did, but it didn't end in bitter disappointment. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's definitely the one I can see. Like, the kids, the casuals, the, the people who don't really watch it, they're going to be watching highlights of him. 
Oh yeah, when I show my nieces wrestling, I'm ever showing them um, like Bailey stuff because they love yeah. Bailey. They don't like wrestling, but they love Bailey. <laughs> and um, or like high flying stuff because they just like the flips. Yeah, yeah. Well, I it's, mean, it's athletics, isn't it? It's it's gymnastics. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. It's incredible. I mean, Ricochet picks up the victory here, rolls Adam Cole back into the ring. Who he's obviously got nothing left after being hit with this ludicrous Rana spot <laughs> to the outside. Um, hits six thirty and. He's the new United States champ. Well, North American champion. I don't sorry. like. I don't like the name North American championship. It's a mouthful. It, does, it, does it even if it, it. I'm saying the NA championship doesn't sound right. No. Yeah. Do we think, not, guys? Not <laughs> do we think it's the right decision? Um, Chris, uh... Garth, Chris, whoever. <laughs> do we think it's the Come right Chris. decision? I don't know. It's not. It's too soon to tap like it didn't feel like the natural end of Cole's run because it's his first takeover defense of the belt unless you count the UK special but I totally don't count that um what I do say is that the best title wins is when it doesn't feel like a natural loss for the winner for the loser rather like okay. so it well it depends how Ricochet carries the belt to be honest yeah. like at Wrestlemania weekend no one else but Cole could win that but, like, Ricochet winning, it got the big pop, and depending on who he gets his opponents, like, he'll have his comeback match with Cole. And also, I, I see Cole, like, moving up the card. I think Cole could possibly be Riddle's first opponent, to be honest with you. He could be. I think further down the line, he will face Champa for that championship, and I think he'll win it. Because that moment, think... when he wins that NXT championship, holy shit, the roof is going <laughs> to blow off the building. I, I, I have... Riddle pen like it's a controversial thing. I've Riddle penciled in to beat Champa because when you look at baby faces, they don't have that many left that aren't in the North American division. No, true, true. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, Garth, do you think it was the right decision? Um, it was a shock, but a good shock. I think. Um, mm. the system. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> um. I just, to be honest, I, I wouldn't have been upset either way. Um, I think Ricochet has come in and he's just been this absolute explosion of excitement. And I think putting the belt on him could could work because it's, it's their secondary title, so it gives them a bit more leeway. Um, and obviously they're going to have the, the sort of the rematch. But I think... I think Cole chasing it could be quite interesting in the, the sort of weekly shows where he just comes in and disrupts matches or attacks Ricochet after he wins a match and it keeps it keeps Ricochet hot but it keeps Adam Cole sort of relevant in that sort of title yeah so I, I think I, yeah I think it could work have him attack him during um, right as it looks like he's about to do a high spot then it stops Ricochet from fucking himself up in weekly TV yeah, um, you can't have Ricochet doing stupid shit all the time. Yeah, he'll die. Yeah, you he's go, well, he's gonna he'll get injured, and then that's. Uh... To be fair, he's not as bad as injuring himself in Osprey is. No, <laughs> Jesus Christ! Oh my God, that Spanish fly on the outside with Marty's girl. <laughs> Jesus it's Christ! Like, it's like six months later, and it's still engraved in my head. It's still oh Jesus! And the fact he just stands up, it's like, what are you doing, you lunatic? Um, <laughs> As for Ricochet, you know, I see really, really good things in his future. He's going to be an absolute 
superstar in the WWE. And uh, that is, of course, until he goes to 205 Live and gets embroiled in the feud with Arya Divari. But that's beside mm-hmm. the point. Um, I heard Divari had a good match in him. One good match. One good match. And that will be against Ricochet when they balls his call up and they put him on 205 Live, which is what everyone didn't want. Um, which, despite the fact that I, I don't think they'll do it, a little niggly voice in the back of my head's going, they're going to do it, you know. They're going to put him on 205 Live. They're going to put him in a feud with Arya Divari and it's going to be dog Vince, shit. Vince won't have seen any of his stuff and he would just look at him and go, what are you doing? Yeah, 205 Live. 205. No, let's go get that Prince Puma guy there. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that Dean was telling me about. Um, What's he called? He's called Trevor in real life, isn't he? Yes. Oh, my God, <laughs> yeah. But is, but has there ever been... Trevor? Have there ever been a big wrestler? The only wrestler called Trevor I can think of is Trevor Murdoch. Trevor Murdoch. Oh, my God. Oh, God. He was the bane of my life on um, SmackDown vs. Raw 2006. Absolute bane of my life. Every week on career mode, every week you're facing Trevor Murdoch. Why am I facing Trevor fucking Murdoch? It was never a title either. Always Trevor Murdoch. I love Tre- I, lo- I love that old tag team, though, Lance Gade and Trevor Murdoch. <laughs> I just Again, but that's when I started watching. <laughs> That was what brought you into wrestling, Lance Cade. <laughs> Trevor Murdoch. Imagine. Hey, they were on like the second show I ever saw, and they were pretty damn good. <laughs> was that was that the same time as uh, like Rene Dupree? No, but that's, no. Like, that's like that's like two years later. Was it? Right. Yeah. right. I, that was we need to get up. away from this. Otherwise, <laughs> we'll end up reliving 2006 Raws, and that's not what anyone wants. I think they're good. Oh. Anyway, we move on to the semi-main event now uh, with the NXT Women's Championship match with Shayna Baszler, the champion, taking on the challenger, Kyrie Sane, in a rematch from the Mae Young Classic final. These were, these two apparently were 1-1 against each other. I didn't know they'd had a second match. Yeah, it was on a... I remember being quite mad about this at the time because it's, it's an obvious pay-per-view rematch, but it was when they were building up um, Baszler for... Um, who was the champ before Basil? Like, Ember. Ember had a sh- <laughs> no, it was when they were building up for Ember. Oh. Um, it was before she was champion. Um, and they just had her basically job out Kyrie Sane on NXT TV. Because that's... It was like that... <laughs> God. It was like that two... It was like that two weeks they were in a non-for-sale place. Oh, uh, when they were in Atlanta. Yeah. Um, Why were they in Atlanta? What the fuck was up with that? It was like an old theatre, wasn't it? It was a very strange setup. Really yeah. strange. Was it around the time that Shayna Baszler was destroying Dakota Kai? Um, no, but I was after she was champion. Ah, uh, okay. Um, so, yeah, this match. Um, we spoke before the podcast went on air about how, so far, you know, Shayna Baszler has massively impressed me. When you compare Shayna Baszler from the May Young Classic to Shayna Baszler now, massive, massive improvement. Masses of improvement. Mm-hmm. But as a champion, and you know, it works in her favour, it's not boring by any stretch of the imagination, but it's very much a one-dimensional match with Shayna Baszler. It is be dominated, lock in submission hold, I am now your winner. And that's very much what it is. And it's worked so far. And... You need something special to sort of elevate Shayna Baszler, you know, into thinking, you know, because so far she's just felt like I'm effectively the Brock Lesnar of the women's division on NXT, which is fine. But with this match, her storytelling came on, you know, 
the stuff that she was doing came on. You know, there was one bit when Carrie Sane was on one knee. Shayna Baszler ran at her, jumped off Carrie Sane's other knee into a knee strike on Sane on Carrie Sane's face. That's brilliant. She would never ever dream of doing that a month ago, two months ago, and it was That's brilliant. Been- thing is there's always a point with any wrestler and you don't normally get to see it where they go from like the unsure rookie to all right i know what i'm doing i'm gonna try out some crazy shit yeah i think that's what i liked about sort of 2014 um 2015 nxt you had more of that with the rookies like when tyler breeze started he was a bit yeah but then he went into his fuse of like Sami Zayn and his day with tammy and he's like you know what i'm gonna try some crazy shit <laughs> so i think seeing that with Shayna baszler has been quite Special, and you kind of saw it in the May Young Classic. Like she, every time she locked in that um, choke, it would always be in a completely different way. Like um, in a match with Candice LeRae, um, like they went from the second row net breaker into it. Yeah. Like she, she's a very well coordinated wrestler. She's always had great timing. The problem is she just didn't have many flashy moves. And in NXT, you sort of need that to get over, unfortunately. But. I would argue, you know, yeah, absolutely, she does hit that clutch in loads of different ways, and, you know, she reverses a lot of things into it, and that's amazing. She doesn't necessarily need those flashy moves because Shayna Baszler is Shayna Baszler. Yeah. But you know, the same way Ronda Rousey doesn't need those moves. To exactly. A lesser extent, Mike, exactly. Plus, no, plus, exactly what I think. It's not the gimmick. Um, I mean, this for me was a surprisingly good match. I didn't expect it to be an absolute world beater, and for me, it really, really was. Kyrie Sane was the perfect foil to Shayna Baszler in this match because everything yeah. Shayna Baszler hit Kyrie Sane with, Kyrie Sane literally turned around and yelled in her face, "Come <laughs> on, what are you gonna do?" We got the variation of the arm spot where they have their arm up and Baszler stands on it. She targeted the ankle instead. You that know, one with the ankle where she bent her toes. Oh, God! But then you got Baszler running and drop kicking out the knee of Shayna Baszler. Uh, sorry, of Kyrie Sane from underneath her. And yeah, just there was so many thing. good little bits of story, um, story, sort of storytelling. What about you, Garth? What did you think? This was my second favorite match. Um, as much as we gushed about um, the Adam Cole Ricochet match, um, I don't know that I think just the the storytelling and the the sort of focus on Shayna Baszler in this one. Like she was going to literally stop at nothing, nothing short of breaking um, Carisian's leg. Like yeah. where she was twisting the knee to the side, and like I've had I've had like pretty nasty knee injury in the past. I know what it feels like when your leg pops out, <laughs> and I was watching that and I was literally wincing because I was like, that reminds me of when I knocked my knee. <laughs> um, <laughs> but like you say, the the arm spot, the the foot stomp spot. Uh, but then, like you say, Corey Singh getting up, screaming, and giving her like a reverse sort of backhand, um, or like a like a twisting sort of leg stomp thing. Yeah. Um, there was there was one bit where um, Corey Singh did like the the el- like an elbow drop on Shayna Baszler's back. That looked savage. But, and I thought that's a really good sort of variation. And like Chris was saying before, like it's a variation on our move. Yeah. Um, it's like a desperation move. And I was thinking, pin, pin, pin. And even the commentators said, "Why is she <laughs> pinning her?" And uh, I was like, "Exactly, exactly." <laughs> <laughs> um, talking to them. Um, 
then she sort of gets up and tries to do the sort of cross body thing. Um, but I, th- I don't know. I think the storytelling and uh, the selling and Shayna Baszler, she's got one of the best shocked looks that I've ever seen. She has. When sort of Corey Singh got up and gave her, um, I think she gave, gave her a slap. And the look on Baszler's face was just sort of, what the fuck? I genuinely feared just... for Carrie Sane's life when she did that. Yeah, but I will say, I'm still not sold on a gimmick. The pirate princess. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's just because very Japanese. Uh, it is. Well, very I was just going to say, like, like it's very, very, very video gamey. Yeah. The music, the the outfit, the the pose. I mean, no doubt it's it would be like huge and sort of on a Wrestle Kingdom stage or something. I just don't... It doesn't seem to fit. It does like make that, me laugh like that we say this. Yeah, we have just spent 10 minutes gushing about a Prince rip-off. Yeah. Oh, well, right. <laughs> to, to be I'm fair, I think I'm... Sorry. Culturally, it's just different, isn't it? It's... I, I think I don't notice it quite as much because I do spend most of my wrestling time watching Japanese shit, so... Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, you see you see bloody Omega come down dressed as a, a character from... Is it, was it Final Second. Fantasy? Oh, yeah. Rather um, kingdom more than I. Yeah, um, but no, this match was brilliant. I thought the finish was excellent as well. The finishing sequence was amazing, but yeah, I mean, before this, Shayna Baszler hit a gut wrench suplex from the top rope, yeah. which, you know, fucking hell, you know, this <laughs> is after Sam, you know, Carrie Sane hit her with a back that spinning back fist, and then about three blockbusters. It felt like they went on for days, um, and then um, a spear that. Roman Reigns needs to take note of. Jesus Christ, that spear sounded awful. It sounded like she cracked <laughs> a load of ribs. Um, That's the best spear in wrestling today. Yes, yeah. excellent. I would argue that that is the best spear in WWE. Um, but then we got a lovely sort of battle between Carrie Sane trying to hit the anchor and Baszler trying to hit the clutch, and it was just it was such a re- it was really really nice sort of battle between the two styles. And I really, I really enjoyed this match. Um, as you said, um, Carrie Sane tried to hit the insane elbow. Might hit it on the back, but Basil rolled out before she could do it again. So she went to the top, hit a flying crossbody on the outside. There was a bit more countering each other submission move. Eventually, Basil locked it in. I was like, well, fuck, that's it. <clears throat> that's, that's, exa- that's exactly what I said. I was like, oh, well, there we go. <laughs> well, you did well, Sane. You did, you, you did well. Keep your head up. But she got to the ropes. At that point, I was like, Fucking hell, Carrie Sane's going to win. Holy shit. Um, she managed, does manage to hit the insane elbow again, um, but then Baszler blocks it, locks her in the clutch, to which the only way I can describe what happens next was she Bret Hart's her. Yeah. <laughs> which, I was reading a review of this show, and I cannot, of NXT TakeOver, and someone mentioned it, and I was like, that's a fantastic way to describe it. I think it was on uh, 411. And I was like, that's a perfect way of describing it. He Bret Hartzer. Um <laughs> Or she Bret Hartzer, sorry, not he. Sounds weird when I say that. Um, but yeah, Kyrie Sane sort of pins um, Shayna Baszler, takes the Women's Championship off her, and we have a new Women's Champion. Um, same question as the one I asked earlier. I'll start with you, Garth. Do you think it is the right choice? Um, I'll... Honestly, think they should have kept on Baszler for a bit more. Okay. Like, like Chris was saying, make her the female Brock Lesnar. Just make her, just 
battle through, but but I did love that that sort of end sequence. I thought it was like really sort of clever. Chris, but I was again. It was another. It was a massive shock. Yeah, Chris, what do you the, think? The thing is, I think Kyrie Sane should have been the person to take the belt off of Baszler. Mm-hmm. Maybe not here. I'm not even. And what? Maybe if Basil had won the championship at um, the Rumble weekend instead of Mania weekend, they'd be slightly different. Um, because the thing is, Shayna Baszler has not had a chance to show how good she actually is. Because um, she was against Ember Moon, who I'm sorry, her only the only good mo- matches Ember Moon has had is against Asuka, and anyone can work a good match with Asuka. Fucking mm-hmm. Yoshihashi could work a good match against Asuka. Well, let's not go um, too far. <laughs> um, Most bland but... man in history. Trevor Murdoch's better. Um... Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that is a match that no one wants to see. Trevor Murdoch versus like... Yoshihashi. Trevor Murdoch, Morgan <laughs> Oh God, triple threat. I'd, see... I'd actually watch that match. No, um... you wouldn't. Nobody <laughs> would watch that. I'd be, I'd be, cont- I'd be insanely curious. Um. Well, Trevor Murdoch versus Yoshihashi. Never mind. Um, but, but like, um, but this match was definitely the one. Maybe further down the line, maybe at the Survivor Series one, or even the Rumble Takeover. This is the match where I'm saying um, where Bezos should lose it, but at the same time, maybe it's a bit too soon because Kerry saying the most natural um, babyface on the women's roster. Yeah. Um, other than maybe Candice LeRae, but Kerry saying she's basically if a Hello Kitty became a pirate. Which is um, like a cartoon character. <laughs> yeah. It's like it's like a it's like a weird high school anime came to life. Yeah. Um. She's Taya from Yu-Gi-Oh. Yes. But, um. More that is. <laughs> Girl's showing his age. <laughs> I, was, I was thinking she's more like a Final Fantasy or like sort of. Yeah. I've never played. I've I've never actually played a Final Fantasy. Like a Star Ocean character. <laughs> Right, I'm going to move us across from this now. Um, <laughs> I'm going to pull rank and just go, right, we're moving on from this now. Um, we had an advert for NXT UK uh, coming soon. Are we excited for NXT UK? Chris? If, if it comes to Scotland yet, not fuck you, WWE. <laughs> <laughs> the last NXT tour, we went to Scotland, we went to fucking Aberdeen. Nobody but assholes live in Aberdeen. To be fair, Whoa. yeah. When you've got Edinburgh and Glasgow, it does. It's very, very strange that it went to Aberdeen, but you know it did. So sorry, mate. Um, you live out in the sticks. That's your fault. <laughs> we discussed today that the town Chris lives in has recently got its first addition to its Just Eat. So oh yeah, I've done that Indian restaurant. I'm sure that NXT aren't looking round going fucking hell. They've got a Just Eat. Let's go there. I'm. <laughs> I'm- no, I'm just saying go to Edinburgh or Glasgow, somewhere that's easy from everywhere in Scotland, not <laughs> fucking Aberdeen. Um, Garth, what about you? Uh, I mean, I'll watch it. Uh, I'm not going to go, uh, unless it's in Newcastle, because uh, uh, it's really hard to get out nowadays. That's true. Fair enough. Fair uh, enough. Maybe if it's sort of, I don't know, Leeds or Manchester. The only thing that concerns me with the NXT UK thing, and I am really, really excited about that. Let me preface what I'm going to say with that. I am really excited. Um, I love the Coffee Brothers. I think they're going to be incredible. But what I am concerned about is the impact on companies in the UK. 
it's already taken place at Shugs, but um, there was a massive marquee match against the Coffees, and that had to be pulled on night two. Yep. So we had to bring in Jeff Cobb and Jeff Jarrett to <laughs> um, compensate. And um, they also had to pull out Kenny Williams, who had a massive marquee thing going on with Aaron Echo. So they had to pull two um, rather big matches, and one of which was a headline yeah. match of that night. So like, See, it's already that... starting to be felt. It's weird having an ICW show without Joe Coffey. That's when you start thinking, "Fuck you, WWE." Yeah, yeah. like if they're, if they're going like because they already they have working relationships. They knew Shugs was happening that weekend, and it's their second biggest show of the year. They could send them someone. Like they basically they had to bring in big stars to try and say so, sorry for WWE pulling their match. But like WWE, send them cast its own. Or send send them a couple of normal NXT send guys. Do not use <laughs> send Neville. For God's sake, yeah, send bloody Apollo Crews. They sent him to what? They sent him to... Was it Revpin? Oh, yes. But just send... That's, that's worse than Revpro. Well, yeah, exactly. Just send send them someone. I agree. I mean, the fact that British wrestling now, we are in a golden age for British wrestling. You know, we've got Progress companies such as Progress who are selling out yeah, Wembley man. Arena. You know, just have Did a think about that, that for a minute. And Sabre Jr. And yeah, and they were the two biggest matches on the cast. Yeah, Jimmy, no more Jimmy Havoc versus uh, Will Ospreay. Um, I'm not entirely sure who Sabre Jr. was facing. It was against. It was going to be against um, Walter because he won Super Strong Style, so he's going to be. Ah, of course, yeah. So it sort of shits on the Super Strong Style tournament. Yeah. Which is a shame, you know. But even so, Progress are selling out Wembley Arena. You know, um, you've IC- got ICW doing great things up at the Hydro. ICW doing fantastic things. You know, we've third got year, Scott who reviews the shows. You know, you've got That's... we shit. We talked about Rev Progress on the um, G1 mm-hmm. in San Francisco. Oh, we shat all over Rev Progress. You shat all over them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you were you, you are not a fan of Rev Pro, but I do not like Rev Pro. He's not a fan of Rev Pro, but you look at their Super J tournament or their mm-hmm. J Cup, and that's getting a lot of notice. So it's a good. Because they've nicked New Japan's tournament. Yeah, they've basically stole the tournament and they've imported a load of big stars. But you know, you've got all these companies that are doing good stuff, and you just think, you know, WWE are coming, taking all the top stars, and then putting them into NXT UK, not really doing anything with them until they're the the very very top, porting them over to the main roster or NXT over there, not doing anything with them. I mean, mm. honestly, the Coffee Brothers are fantastic. Will they ever see the main roster? Probably not. Well, Joe, I think, has potential. Um, Mark is sort of... He's sort of... Mark's a great tag team wrestler. Like, if you've seen any of the stuff he's done with Polar Promotions, it's amazing. But the problem is he's not especially charismatic. Like, Joe's definitely... Joe's fantastic. He's one of the best... He's the best big man other than Walter, but he's not British. I'm a British scene right now. I mean, it's going to be interesting. just scared. They're just they're scared. They're, they're seeing what's happening in the arenas where they're going. Their shows mm-hmm. aren't selling. They're seeing all these others like, um, well, bloody hell, look at all in there. Absolutely furious about that. Um, They've got G1 the Supercard. Well, when, when New Japan go over to these, the States, they're selling out places that WWE are struggling to get 10,000 people in. Um, it's just. I think they're just buying up anyone they think's a draw and just stifling them. It's like football. 
yeah, I think all these partnerships are really just there to save face, and they'll chuck and they'll chuck Casasono at a problem every oh, once yeah. in a while. Yeah, and it's to keep that keep them from going on to these big things and saying, "No, no, you're contracted to us. You mm-hmm. won't only work the shows that we want you to it's, work." It, it, it was it's been this WWE partnership's been fucking up um, ICW for ages. Like Wolfgang wasn't at this year's um, Fear and Loathing at the Hydro, and he's one of their biggest stars. It's It'll certainly be interesting, especially once this gets off the ground. Um, it's just, it makes me wonder if the NXT UK division wasn't a thing, you know, people like Tyler Bate, Trent Seven and Pete Dunne, they would already be on the main roster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, especially Pete Dunne. It's just like a retainer. It is, that's exactly so what it is. It's, it's effectively like a, a waiting room. Yeah, and they can sort of bust them out a couple of times a year but the rest of the year they say yeah you go and take your bookings but when we want you you come when we call yeah I mean I don't know if this has already been announced is this supposed to be a new weekly show yeah that's what that was announced back then that's what they were taping a few weeks ago when they had to pull the coffee some shugs I knew they were taping but you know it's all I wonder how many dates they're actually going to do you know the thing is it'd be two sensible sized arenas it can work like if they yeah. go and like d- just using Edinburgh as a context, you might not grab on. Like if they go to like the Corn Exchange, like about roughly a thousand between one thousand and two thousand people, they could probably like go to to like the Wheel Two Academies around the place. There, um, places like ICW and um, Progress go to. It will look good, and it because they're all nice theaters, and it will, um, and it's a sensible amount of people mm. to do. Like we don't need the production values of, we only need to match the production values of progress and ICW. So yeah, yeah. I mean, the last the last point I just want to say on this is, there's no point trying to outdo companies that are already doing it in Britain. Mm-hmm. You've done two tournaments over in the UK. They have been rip roaring success, especially the second one over two days. I thought you know was head and shoulders above the first of those. It was absolutely fantastic. Um, but you did it in venues like you did to the Blackpool Tower Ballroom, which worked really well. It wasn't an overly massive venue. You did it in the Royal Albert Hall this year, not another match. You know, you didn't try and fill the O2. You didn't try and go, you know, to Wembley Arena. I think so far they've done it well, but I'm just, I'm very cautious about what it's going to do to British wrestling. That's definitely my main concern, is it fucking up, especially like ICW, because I enjoy going to see because I enjoy going to see it live, so yeah, that fucking about being fucked up by, um, like we had to bring Gradle back just because we're running out of big stars. It's worrying. It's worrying. I just think yeah, this it's going to be so interesting the fallout from All In because yeah, definitely. Um, because you're going to get, I think you're going to have a lot of British people who might turn around and say, "No, nah, I'm not going to sign on with WWE. I can make more money and more opportunities." looking at something like that where I can get not just a good payday and exposure but contacts and possible moves to like New Japan or different American shows to uh, like sort of impact there's there's more on that scene than from like money wise and exposure than there is being on a contract and not on TV in WWE yeah I mean one glaring example for me is that WWE Cruiserweight Classic which was the best thing WWE did in years 
um, oh, that was both. built for Kota Ibushi to win it, if mm. you believe rumours. Kota Ibushi was supposed to win that, sign a contract with the WWE, and go on from there. Kota Ibushi That's basically part way through went, I'm not signing a contract. Absolutely no. So the fatal got... flaw of that was they thought Kota Ibushi would sign a contract. Yeah, they thought exactly. When you consider what he's done with New Japan, <laughs> just fucked them about for years. Yeah. Um, you know, so Kota Ibushi then went from that. He's just been in the G1 final. He's at all in. He's in, you know, he's in a really prominent place at New Japan Pro Wrestling. You mention New Japan, could... and they know who Kota Ibushi is. You know, he could draw. A, he could draw a crown in three minutes. Yeah, fa- absolutely. He could headline a B level pay per view. He could headline these destruction shows that are coming up quite he, easily. He could. He could have headlined Wrestle Kingdom, and I wouldn't have batted an eyelid. No, if it was if it was Omega versus Ibushi, it would have been incredible. But mm-hmm. what I'm saying is, he is a living example of the fact that you don't. You no longer need the WWE to have in air quotation marks made it. And yeah, I know well, he was fairly big before, but he's infinitely bigger now. I think the CWC is a great example of that because um, the two biggest stars in that, Zack Sabre Jr., they, don't, they wouldn't have brought any of these people in if they had no intention of signing them. No. Well, Ibushi, and, it was between Ibushi and Sabre Jr. And Sabre, to win it. And neither of them... And like, it's, it's funny because it's a, a slight WWE fucking them up because as soon as they were like, nah, we're not signing because we're already making all the money um, <laughs> out, on the, out on the indies, um, but he was like, well, fuck you, Ramalata Leak and T.A. Perkins in the final, which, as good as they are, they can't it felt really out of place. Yeah, TJ Perkins is not selling out a show, is he? And uh, unfortunately, now there's Grand Metalik. Grand Metalik is unbelievable, but he's you know he's not selling out a show. Anyway, I think we've talked about NXT UK enough. Um, we've still got one more match to discuss, and bloody hell, what am I? I'm still out of breath having watched it today. So. We move to the NXT Championship match, um, a last man standing match between the champion Tommaso Ciampa and the challenger Johnny Gargano, the third and, I hope, final instalment of their feud, at least for now, um, because they faced each other in the last three NXT TakeOver main events. They've all been stellar matches, incredible matches. Has anyone else done that? Um, Three TakeOvers on the truck. Um... Joe Bala against against the same person. Yeah, no. I think Joe Bala did it. Um, I know Shinsuke Bobby Roode did it two in a row. Um, oh no, yeah, Joe Bala was definitely free because that was London and then Mania weekend and then the end. Was Joe Bala? Was that three consecutive? Yeah. You sure? Yeah, because oh yeah, definitely. Fair enough then. Fair enough then. Um, I just I just don't want them to. Oversaturators with a champion versus Gargano feud. I think I think what helps is that takeovers aren't like monthly; they're like every three months, every four months. Yeah, well, the so next one's we... November, isn't it? So, yeah, I think uh, we've got a lot of time to build up to this. I'll ask you both individually in the trio of matches. So we've got New Orleans, Chicago two, and now uh, Brooklyn four. Mm-hmm. Which one has been your favorite installment? I'll ask you. <gasps> Pardon me, got hiccups. Um, I told you that happened, didn't I? Um, <laughs> for those who don't know, I had to postpone the paper, the uh, podcast because I was racing back from Wales. I didn't have enough time to eat my tea. So whilst these two were talking before the podcast, I was eating curry like a madman. So now it's sitting in my diaphragm. Um, Chris, I'll ask you first. Which one okay. has been your favourite? 
um, very quickly before, before I answer, the people who say, oh, but the CWC match, fuck off. Now, um, <laughs> um, I have to, I'm going to say this one, this one, because um, after the last one, I had, I immediately had the feeling of that was great, but it wasn't as good as um, New Orleans. Because um, in New Orleans, I came away from it. It was like two, three in the morning. Like I was almost asleep going into it. And then as soon as Champ, the Champa boost started, I was awake. Um, this time around, um, I was just everything everything about it. I love that um, Champa is finally... Uh, no, it's still doing the um, quiet, no entrance music thing. I love that. Um, he's still over the hill. Like you very rarely hear, even the smarkiest of smarks aren't cheering for Champa. Um, I, I I think storytelling in this match was great because in both matches Gagano was lost. He has um, basically beaten himself. Yeah, and like this one was the most obvious of this. Like Champa literally just couldn't move. He was stuck to the floor, and then Gagano literally basically kicked him onto the floor. <laughs> like he. Basically, kicks into a position where he can just fall onto the floor, and then didn't he legitimately fuck up his knee? Um, I'm not entirely sure if it's legitimate. I assume it's a story device. Um, mm. I'd be very surprised if it's a legitimate injury. Nothing's come out on Twitter or Facebook or any of the news outlets that it's a legitimate injury. So I'm assuming it's just fantastic selling from Gargano. Mm. Um, Garth, where's it rank in the three in the trilogy so far for you? Um, I don't know if it's just because I had the feeling on this one of more rinse and repeat but I think the first one was my favourite then probably this one and then the second one Um, I don't know I just I enjoyed it and it was a really good match I just I don't know I just felt I've seen this that go on. Um, obviously not the end. Of, well, even the ending was similar to the last one, where they took it up to the ramp and sort of Johnny went past where he would the line he would normally stop at. Um, I don't know. I just I enjoyed it. Like I said, it was like a stellar match, but it didn't offer that much more. That was different. Like a few of the spots were nigh on identical. I think um, the... and that's that's my biggest sort of criticism of the match. It was, it seems like they had run out of a few ideas. I think the issue that we had with this was that it was never supposed to be Champa versus Gargano. It was supposed to be a triple threat between Black, Champa, and Gargano. And I feel like if Black was in there, we'd have seen redemption for Gargano. And I feel like he'd have sacrificed himself so that Black could win back the championship or something like yeah. that. I feel that this was extending a feud somewhat. Now, that is not to say this match was bad because this was was my joint favourite. I can't possibly split this in the first match. I think both of them were brilliant. And this ending sequence, yes, some people have complained about how the end comes about and we'll talk about that in a minute. But I really enjoyed sort of the descent of Gargano I mean, it got yeah. to the end of this match and Gargano is the heel. <laughs> Which, you know, you look Champa's at it and go, how the fuck has that well, happened with, you know, clean-cut babyface Johnny Gargano? You know, everyone's chanting, Johnny, wrestling, and, you know, fuck you, Champa. You know, and yet at the end, 
You almost Chappa's feel like, sorry I'm for Champa. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. I like, it's amazing. I like how Champa tried to hug him. <laughs> he like couldn't because it was the fucking handcuffs. That was amazing. <laughs> but well, I, I mean, this the actual storytelling and everything just absolutely like masterclass. Yeah, it's the best ever. Best at storytelling. Yeah. Right now, like normally, like when someone's great at storytelling, like you know, like Triple H, they they almost lose work right? But yeah. these two have both because I think if you had said like a few years ago, like in the CWC match, um, putting them together, it's like, well, this is going to be a high work rate. And that match, none of them have been high work rate. It has almost been spot to spot with the storytelling sort of giving them a tiny bit of rest in between. So, but they almost keep subverting expectations because almost everyone, I'm like, okay, so this is going to be the high work rate. But the thing is, they always seem to do like amazing. Um, stuff out of nowhere, like there was a knee using a chair through the barricade. I did yeah. not see that coming. No, My that edge was most of the air raid crash through the table. Oh, um, that Jesus just sort of, like, came completely out of nowhere. And like the air raid crash is a scary looking move. Yeah. To begin with, and but like going through a table, and it's I love fact that it was sort of off one table under the other. The fact that they yeah. hadn't taken anything off the other table. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, Champa throwing... No, Gagana throwing Champa into Percy Watson makes Johnny Gagana <laughs> my hero. <laughs> um, this the, the, overall... The dart into the bloody corner as well. Yeah, the dart into the corner where the chair was. Um, the three Project Champers, one <laughs> after another, was amazing. And then how Champa just put a chair out and just started counting with the ref. And then as it got to nine, Gargano got up with this burst of energy, super kicked Champa off the chair... <laughs> And then sort of collapsed as though to go. That was it. See like, now, yeah. if that if that was WWE main roster, that third project champion would have been reversed. You well, that's what lip- I thought was going to happen. I was like, don't reverse. You would have saw you would have saw the wiggly legs, and then they would have reversed it, and then they would have both been down for like a nine, because it's so predictable. It's the perfect use of the stipulation. I feel because you couldn't do that in a match where pinfall is the main aim. Yeah, you're not. No one's kicking out of that in. But in terms of getting up for a 10 count, it's completely conceivable that someone in a match where you're going for the main prize, trying to destroy someone you hate, it's conceivable that with adrenaline you'll pull yourself up. It's not conceivable you'll kick out. Yeah, and Moro did a fantastic job of saying that because he actually said, you know, it's a testament to how much these two men hate each other Mm -hmm. that they keep getting up. I mean, there was so there is literally spot with it being a last man standing match and with it being Gargano and Champa. There's literally spot after spot after spot after spot. You know, there's fire extinguishers, there's chairs, there's tables, there's padding removed from the ring and on the outside. You know, we get things that harken back to the end of DIY when it's Gargano that launches Champa into the LED sign. You know, there's One so the, much um... that we can talk about, but. It would take us, you know, this podcast would be three hours long if we ran down every single spot it of the already match. Is. It is already a long one. <laughs> one of the most offensive and disgusting things in this was um, Chamber's Court. It was absolutely oh. vile. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what the fuck is that? I love the fact that ah, this it's entire like thing, it's his coat that offends you. It was something like out of Mad Max or something. Yes, it is a pre- it is a pretty horrific coat to be fair. <laughs> Marty Skrull wears something similar in Ring of Honor, and uh... <laughs> but to but to be fair, that works with Marty Skrull's. Marty's a bit goofy anyway. That's true. It does work with Marty Skrull's character, but yeah, I I I, I know what you mean. Um... <laughs> See, this is this is the type of match I always expected out of Ambrose. 
If Ambrose yeah, had have, definitely, aye. and you know what? As he's come back, jacked, he looks terrifying. When that inevitable heel turn comes, and it is coming, you know, <laughs> if he just takes a years. well, yeah, exactly. You know, and if he doesn't do stupid, goofy hot dog cart Dean, then if he takes a leaf out of Champa's book, you know, of how to be a legitimate heel, not be a funny, cool heel so the crowd still cheers you, be a fucking prick, you know. Delete all your followers off Twitter and then just, you know, I'm not following spoil, anyone. Do you like this spoil, shit? Spoil Infinity War. Yeah, spoil Infinity War. What a heel tactic that was. The best thing to do would be if you divorced Renee Young. Well, yeah, so oh God, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I think Marx would get that would get over with Marx because they would just be like, yes, I have a chance. Oh, yes, yeah. Renee. Um, you know, just stuff like, you like the shirt? I'm not putting on WWE shop. No, fuck off. You know, just stuff like that. It's amazing. If it's, Dean did that, he'd be in. He'd be, he'd be the most amazing thing in WWE with that shadow of a doubt, which he should be because going back to the Shield, he was the most charismatic one. He was the one that everyone wanted to do well as a single star. Oh, I thought he would. Uh, he was the most natural. Because Seth Rollins in the Shield had no charisma. No, he's done extremely well now. <laughs> when you consider that, um, yeah, he's a very boring man, though. He what? Do you know what his heel turn? was fantastic and when he turned face again after WrestleMania 33 I genuinely worried about him because I was like he's he's got nothing but he seems to have grown into the role of face mm-hmm. far more um and I feel it's a lot better than he used to be by far I think it, right now it feels like we've naturally moved on from takeover to reviewing the first match of SummerSlam <laughs> yeah, true um anyway sorry we need to talk about the ending sequence so it's- and made me wince. Yes. Like, it's yeah. the only non-New Japan match that's made me wince this year. There's, to be honest, there was a moment before the finish. I know we said we need to talk about the finish, but there's a moment before the finish where um, Gargano goes for the um, the like the like spear through the ropes, the slingshot spear, mm-hmm. and Gargano canters it with a knee strike. And yeah. short of Kenny Omega, I don't think there's anyone who hits those running knee strikes as well as Champa does. They look like they fucking hurt. And I know they don't. He uses the brace as well. It's in completely different ways, though. Because like, with Kenny, it's just how fast he's going with Champa. Yeah. Like, he's, he, he just really wants to hurt. He'll just dig it right the fuck in there. Exactly. And the ones where he was in, uh, Gargano was in the corner and he just kept going and, you know, he got into his face and went, we are nowhere near done yet. It, it's too, it's like mid 2000 Samoa Joe level of brutal. Yeah. And uh, do you know what? I fucking love it. Um, I absolutely love it. Anyway, we got up to the top of the ramp, um, and we've got we've now got snivelling weasel heel Champa who keeps apologising to Gargano. But every time he apologises, Gargano drops him with a super kick or locks in the Gargano escape. Um, smashes his head in the wall. Smashes his head into the wall. Um, at one point, like you say, Champa tries to hug him, but he's handcuffed, so he can't. Um, and Gargano at this point has just lost all his shit. He's like, I am. I don't care what I've got to do, I am going to fucking kill you. Well, um, what I think would have punctuated it, and I know he'd never do this, but like Candice LeRae coming out going, look, you've done enough, trying to usher him away, and then him pushing Candice, not realising who it was. Yeah, a bit like... Um, okay. Yeah, I think that would be good. I think that that might be the next step we go. You know, he starts to lose Candice as well. You know, but... They did bring that up in the match. They did, they did, and I think if they do that, if they work that into NXT TV... That could be fantastic. This, you know, carrying That's on the storyline. I'm kind of sad. Sorry, 
that's sort of going down the Eddie Edwards I was just about to bring that up with um, Sammy Callahan. Um, I know nothing. The only time thing I know about this is I watched Lucha Underground versus TNA. That's it. Honestly, Impact is doing a fantastic job of bringing itself around. It's it's weekly TV is genuinely entertaining. So this is the first time Impact has been good since what 2013. Yes. Probably. (laughs) Quite quite legitimately yes. Um, but we're not talking about Impact uh, during us on Wednesday where we'll be reviewing Impact. Um, so, plug. at this... Yeah, exactly. You've got to plug, haven't you? Um, at this point, Champa is sort of half-sitting um, at the edge of the ramp and Gogana slowly takes his knee pad down and runs full pelt at Champa. And now at this point, presumably out of sheer exhaustion, Champa sort of starts to lean back, which means that Gargano sort of grazes Champa because he doesn't get Champa with all of it. I don't think. He sort of grazes the side of his head and instead runs full-bore knee-first into a speaker on the side of the stage, which, of course, leads him to collapse off the stage, which leaves Champa in a heap on the stage and Gargano in a heap at the bottom of the stage. Champa manages to roll off the stage, which means he's in a standing position. So, so good. So clever, that. It's the second time he did that because he rolled out the ring to get out of a... Um, ten count before, didn't he? It's just yeah. crazy. Exactly. I've never. I don't think I've ever seen that in the last man standing match. That's so creative. Which was fantastic. The argument that a lot of people, obviously Johnny Gargano, didn't meet the ten count and was still out for the count when we went to end credits, meaning that Tommaso Ciampa retained. But the issue that a lot of fans online have said is why is Gargano attempting to get to the stage to lift himself up when there is a table next to him? Because it's the end of the match, he's filled with hatred and he's not exactly in the most strategic mindset at that time. Coming from someone who has fucked their knee up quite spectacularly, the last thing I noticed was, what have I got round to help myself up with? It's, Jesus Christ, my knee hurts. So, it's, I feel if that's something you are picking out of this match, either you're not fully embedding yourself in the storytelling or you are being picky for being picky's sake. Yeah, it just looked... Well, just welcome. Fucking... Mm. Oh, they, oh, they just marked... I remember... I, I was reading a, one of the reviews on Cage Match um, this morning, and one of the guys was like, oh, this was ultimately... Uh, actually, no, you know, I was re- reading it too. I was reading it to the kickoff show for um, SummerSlam, and the guy was just... I was reviewing the Almas um Rusev tag match and he was just like this was ultimately disappointing it's like what the fuck did you expect and then I was reading the one on cage match it's like this is disappointing and it was the same guy it's like do you just not have fun <laughs> <laughs> lots of rest- lots and lots of wrestling fans don't enjoy wrestling um, you said earlier um, Gareth that um, the um, you thought Gagano launched himself a bit too far yeah um, <laughs> like overshot <laughs> yeah uh, I don't think I, well, I think I don't think it was the actual jumping that got him that far. Like he fell off, and then as we're rolling, we got him so far away. From yeah, the I think because so, the... like it's hard to see whether or not they meant to do that, mm. or whether he actually meant to hit. To be, on, to be honest, I think he might. I, I think he wasn't meant to hit Champa. Yeah, like, it looked nasty either way. Like it was one. It's the most brutal spot of the match that miss for me. Be interesting to see if this is a work will, this injury, or if it, it's legit. Uh, I hope it fucking is, because if not, they've lost both Black and Gigano, so we have no big baby faces other than Riddle. 
Adam Cole. <laughs> yeah, they're gonna have to turn Adam Cole face quickly. Um, Adam Cole, baby, your face now. <laughs> <laughs> You've got a chant. Be face now. Um, and then we'll turn you into Ty Dillinger and you can feud in the mid-card. Uh, and then Vince, you'll go up and Vince McMahon is going, you're not over, the chant is over, but my name's yeah. in the chant. Shut up, Adam. <laughs> you know nothing, Adam Cole. Um, <laughs> you, don't, you don't like what you like. Exactly. Yeah. Um, the one thing that I will say is they may attempt to use this injury to keep Gargano off TV for a while so that this feud, as opposed to being, you know, effectively slapping fans in the face with a fish going, look at what we've got. You know, mm-hmm. keep it simmering now and just have it as that undertone for the next, what, two months? You know, I say have it, I say have, I know Gagano's hot, but he's always going to be hot. Maybe have it as an undertone, I think, till Mania. Yeah. Possibly. I, I was going to say just keep it until the Survivor Series takeover. But do you know what? what? Yeah, keep it till Mania. And then what? have Gargano return a month before, you know, maybe even at the Royal Rumble takeover. Have Gargano cost Champa, or just have Gargano we, return at least. We've got to have. We've got we've, if they're going to do a return on this feud, it's got to be. There's got to be some stakes, so it's got to be costs Champa his title or a rematch. Goes to two or five five. <laughs> oh god! <I. laughs> Loser goes to two or five five. <laughs> that would be a feud that would be like you. Oh my god! It'd be an hour long last man standing match. They'd be like, I can't go to two hundred five live. Literally, one of the, one of our legs have been chopped off, and it's like no, like one of them has both our legs chopped off, but just to not go to two hundred five live. <laughs> but they've learned how to levitate, and genuinely, genuinely, the wrestling, the wrestling in two hundred five live is insane. It's just yeah, that the... people they fucked it so bad at the start that just people aren't interested. But the watching on retro is really good. It's just the product is horrible. You need to watch anyone listening. You need to watch any of the matches that Buddy Murphy has put on with Mustafa Ali. Oh, they are um, insane. Buddy Murphy is such a surprise. <laughs> He's the like, best when, kept when, secret. I think you'll find. Four years ago, four years ago, he was the blandest NXT champion of all time. Yeah, and, and then look at where he is now. His his biggest accomplishment was going out of Alexa Bliss and destroying all the Mark's dreams. But... Yeah, true. <laughs> Um, I, so... did, um, I did notice at the end of this that pretty much within a couple of minutes they'd diagnosed Gargano with a dislocated knee. To be fair, it's not exactly hard to spot something when it's dislocated. Yeah, but if it's on the I've other dis- side. Well, I've dislocated my knee and it, it took a doctor to sort of x-ray it to see that it was actually dislocated. And I just think... Mm. I guess it depends how badly it's dislocated. Yeah. yeah. If it's on the it other side of his bad. knee... It didn't look too bad from... What, I don't. It didn't really focus on Benevo. No. Doc- you don't know. We, you never know. I th- I, I'm going to go on my gut and think it's. I think it's a work, which is good. <laughs> I hope. I fucking hope it's a work because otherwise NXT have legitimately lost their biggest baby faces in like two weeks. And now that we've returned from Doctor Garth's corner, um, <laughs> <laughs> overall, lads, we've reached the end of the show. An absolutely outstanding show. Our podcast is nearly as long as Takeover. Um, <laughs> thanks to Trevor Murdoch. <laughs> thanks to Trevor Murdoch. <laughs> um, Goth, if you had to give the show as a whole a yeah. mark out of five, what are we giving it? Four and a half. Four and a half? Okay. Yeah. Chris? 4.75 would be five if it was in the Tokyo Dam. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Oh, Melsa. <laughs> you, Mark. Um, I'm going to give it four and a half. 
Um, I think it was one of, if not, it was definitely the best takeover of this year, without a doubt, even though New Orleans was a really, really, really good show. Um, this overall was a fantastic show. The only thing that stopped it being five stars for me was the fact that, like Garth said, even though the gargano Champa match was absolutely outstanding, we had seen a few of those spots before, you know, and that's being picky, I understand. You know, the Velveteen Dream versus EC3 match, it was okay. You know, it was it was a good match, but it wasn't in the same league as, you know, the other four matches on the show. So I think four and a half, maybe pushing it to four and three quarters. You know, it's an outstanding show. Let's take nothing away from just how good this show was. My biggest problem, really, with the show was, A, Percy Watson, fire him already, and... <laughs> Um, B was the crowd like I think this takeover proved that the crowd don't just do smarky chants when they're bored they just do them because they're smarks yeah it doesn't help and um, it it's... takes you like that's why I'm so glad it was the last man standing match because they can't do the too sweet thing during because no one's getting up at two counts in the last man standing match no true well no one's going for a pin attempt are they um, yeah I mean in a week where we've seen people at the Ring of Honor shows in the UK, take their chance far, far too far. Whether oh, it be chanting was... CM Punk at Colt Cabana, at Colt Cabana. or yeah, whether it be chanting there. racist things at Jonathan Grisham. I didn't hear the Grisham thing, but I was thinking I think it was on the other side of the arena, and we can't exchange it. Has horrible acoustics, so you can't really hear it reverberate around. You can sort of see that on the footage, yeah. but. Um, People in my section were the smarky in front of us were the smarkiest smarks you've ever seen. Like um, chats down to the two sweet thing. When I'm finding it's bullet club people out there, but there was no bullet club people to be seen. Um, and they were the ones who were chanting um, CM Punk at Coke Cabana, and it was during like a promo, um, the like post fuck about thing we do for being the elite. Um, <sighs> and like they literally just went up to Coke Cabana. Um, to say that Okada's going to fuck up Marty Skill, as is the done thing. And just because they had the mic at Cabana, they started chanting CM Punk at him, and it's all like, you can't. Yeah, that's all. <laughs> that's just, I mean, like, it's a Ring of Honor show. What, who the hell cares? You know, yeah, CM Punk, CM Punk hasn't been there since 2005. Exactly. And, we've got new, and I've got news for those smarks. CM Punk was overrated. Yep. <laughs> Trevor Murdoch's better. So, <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Tai Chi is definitely... Yeah, you, definitely you think better. you want a CM Punk return. What you actually want is Trevor Murdoch taking on Yoshihashi at the Tokyo Dome. <laughs> no, what you want is Trevor Murdoch taking on Tai Chi. Nobody wants show. Tai Chi, Chris. I do. I know I you do. do. And on that bombshell, <laughs> it's time to end this podcast. Thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen, for paying attention to us talk random bollocks for almost almost an hour and three quarters at this we're on an hour and 34 so thank you for listening to us for this amount please download the podcast you can find it at Castbox and itunes talk to us on facebook and twitter at at podmania in the meantime if you want to talk to us about SummerSlam, nxt or in fact about impact and ring of honor which me and garth will be reviewing this week's um, iteration of Ring of Honor and Impact on Wednesday. Please find us. You can find me on Twitter at, at RealRobGoodwin. Where can they find you, Garth? At Drummer Jackson. Chris, where can they find you? Um, at Oman0401, I think. Okay, fantastic. In the meantime, thank you so much for listening. We will talk to you guys again soon. <laughs>